My name is Julia Mejia. I'm running for Boston City Council at large, and I'm from Dorchester. I came to this country when I was five years old. At the time, I was raised by my grandparents in the Dominican Republic. Gone were the comforts of being in the Dominican Republic. Gone was the breeze and the freedom that I had. And it was really hard for me. I had to learn how to speak English and I had to fight for my mom, who was undocumented for a period of time. Repeating my mother's story and breaking the cycle of poverty, for me, has been one of the biggest accomplishments that I've been able to do. So to be the first in my family to graduate high school and college, buy a house and get my mom out of Section 8, knowing that we came from nothing, is what drives me every single day. When you grow up feeling voiceless, all you want to do is amplify your voice. All you want to do is create opportunities, not just for yourself to speak up, but for everybody else who has been silenced. I want to create an opportunity for other people to speak for themselves. I want city government to be responsible to those who they serve. I believe that I can create the infrastructure for real meaningful community engagement because no matter where I go, I hear the same thing. People do not feel heard. And I have a sense of responsibility because I have a nine-year-old daughter who's watching everything that I do. And I am responsible for making sure that she goes even further than me. But the only way we're gonna be able to do that is if we have the type of city that embraces us all. Instead of having a conversation just about education over here, transportation over there, housing over here, I see the interconnection of all of these because I work in all of those spaces. Because for me, it's about my lived experience and my professional experience. And those two things inform every decision that I make. And I believe that the way that I work and how I roll is exactly the type of energy that we need in City Hall. And not to say that I'm gonna burn it down, but I'm definitely ready to shake it up. I believe it's time to have people like me inside city government to change the conversation. On Tuesday, September 24th, I asked for your vote for Boston City Council at large. Welcome, we're live. Mike Crawford here, Young Jerks. Welcome back another week. We have a big guest here. Wanted to play her announcement video I think it is we'll find out but uh, I like the video Thank campaign you. video to kick it off uh, we have a lot to talk about this week but definitely want to keep it to Boston a lot if you want to call in you can definitely call in again 617-702-2542 it's the young jerks and we have a special guest right now running for Boston City Council she's an at-large candidate for Boston City Council uh, first time on the show uh, we've had one other uh, Boston City Council at-large candidate on the show so far. Uh, she'll be the second. Uh, I think she's the third candidate we've had in this uh, round. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm counting them. But uh, we're really happy to have her. She's the second. Actually, that's the whole Latino slate. That's basically what we've had on here. You're the third. <laughs> Are you guys the Latinx slate? It's uh, Ricardo. Yeah. You and uh, Alexandra. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not part of a slate. I know, but I'm calling it the slate. Well, it's okay. the you can three call it the slate. three Latin. Uh, yeah, the three amigos, the three chicos, right? So yeah, you, we'll say your name. Your name is Julia Meja. Me my name is Julia Mejia. Mejia, thank you. Um, Thanks for correcting okay. me. Mejia. That's right. I'm gonna correct you the whole entire I time, Mike. Just so you know. Definitely. Um. So 
this is an opportunity that we, at the moment, we have, there aren't any Latinos in the city council, so we have absolutely no representation. So this is an opportunity for, to go from zero to at least three. And we each bring our own unique perspectives and our own lived experience and the work that we have done in the city um, is completely different. And I think that this is what representation looks like. So I'm looking forward to joining them on the council, but I'm definitely not part of a slate. This is really, we're all about, um, there's 15 candidates who are running for at large. We have a very diverse um, group of people that are running and I'm looking forward to being one of those top four that make it on. And so the election is uh, September 24th? Yeah, so that's the, um, the preliminary um, is on September the 24th. Right now we go from 15 candidates to eight. I'm hoping to be one of the top five. Um, and then from there... And you're talking 15 for at-large. At-large. There's 15 announced at-large candidates. Yes, isn't that amazing? That's a lot, that's 15 good. 15 people. And um, from those 15, we'll move on. Um, only eight will move on to the general election. And then from the general election, we hope to go from eight to four. And I hope with the votes of the whole entire city of Boston, I'll be one of those four. And I've seen some uh, initial like fundraising numbers. It looks like you've been doing pretty competitive. I mean, I know some people have raised major crazy money, but you're, you're impressive. You're, you're doing well, right? Yeah, well, I'm a grassroots candidate, right? So I'm a community organizer. Most of my dollars are Small. under 100. I have a lot of little dollars because that's my network. And that's how you win. Like, I've, I, yeah. I mean, that's how Ayanna won, Rachel yeah. Rollins. We, it was those small yeah. donors that indicate yep. the win versus the bigger money they were against. Yep, and most of my dollars are um, from Boston and grassroots, and it goes to show who it is that I represent. And, you know... For me, when I set out to run, I really wanted to change the way we do business and how we even campaign. And so it's really about building the capacity of our community and creating the platform for people to follow because it's not just about me. I don't want to be the first and only. I want to be able to build the, the pipeline. But more importantly, it's what happens after I win. And I'm also looking ahead to 2020 and 20, um, 2021 in terms of what happens um, in the years to come, I think that we have an opportunity to set the foundation for real meaningful community engagement, particularly from communities of color and low-income folks who have often been left out of every single conversation. What, I mean, um, what does that look like when you, because I hear that a lot. Yep. And so, I know, I, I know it's what, I, I think I know what you mean, but I don't know if our listeners Yeah, do. well, let me just break it down, right? So um, I launched an initiative called Determined Divas and we are divas. It's a volunteer-led initiative of, composed of women of color in particular. We were tired of elected officials coming around our way, knocking on our door, asking us for their vote, and then we wouldn't see them anymore. And so we launched this initiative with the goal of increasing voter turnout and also hosting elected official accountability dialogues, which means you're not just gonna sit in your seat and look pretty um, after you win. You're gonna actually do some work with people, the people that you're supposed to represent so we created um, these dialogues and had elected officials sit in community with their constituents to develop policies um, that reflect the people. And through that work, um, our uh, Ayana, who's my idol right now, you know, um, she would come into our spaces even when she wasn't invited to speak, to be an official speaker, because she knew that the spaces we created were really intentional about creating opportunities for those who have often been left out 
And that is the type of um, energy and leadership that I hope to bring to the city council. It's like people, I believe personally that nothing about us without us is for us. And if we're not on the, you know, if we're not at the table, we're on the menu. So it's really changing the way we do business in the city government, which right now I believe oftentimes we're an afterthought and there's really no accountability to the voices of the people. And that's the type of work that I've been doing in the city of Boston. And what it looks like is really stepping to the side and creating opportunities for other people to step into their power. Well, um, there's been a lot of local news lately. I'm sure you're aware and keeping tabs of uh, in Boston. I don't even know where to start, but let's start with, uh, I guess, the uh, the the, the uh, gentleman uh, just you know pled guilty mm. the bribery in the city of Boston uh, with the development board mm -hmm. attached to the mayor. It seems like a lot of uh, the mayor's people have just resigned. This buddy Christopher guy. Yep. Um, what do you what you're running for city council what do you say to people yep. that are upset about the, the yeah. this kind of uh development issue the corruption in the city government right. right now it goes back to you know this whole idea of nothing about us without us is for us and so one of the things that i'm going to be proposing is that we create a community um compliance um board where it's led by the residents um so that we can hold the bra which is what i still call it responsible to the people I think that oftentimes developers come into our neighborhoods and they're building without us in mind. And I think that we need to really ensure that we're holding even elected officials accountable. Um, if you have a spouse or you have a family member and there's a special interest there or, or financial interest, then you should not be voting on things that you might be able to profit from one way or another, right? It's really holding um, ourselves accountable to that. Um, whether you are in an elected position or you're a commissioner or you're a part of a board, I think we have an opportunity to um, restore the integrity. So this would be like an independent board? An independent board composed of residents. Who, who would decide uh, who we, would get on that board? We, it, would be a, it would be a democratic process. Right? The it would, mayor wouldn't it would, be in charge No, the mayor would not be in charge of appointing people. That's the problem. That's right. why we are in the situation that we're in. And I think that if we're really about restoring the trust in people, that we need to be able to um, step outside of that space and um, create our own process that holds us accountable to that. So that would be a democratic process. I'm not sure in terms of whether or not we're going to do the elections or what it looks like, but maybe people get nominated by their own peers. But it has to be, a, a, however people get appointed, it has to be something that is truly reflected of the people. Awesome. Absolutely. So we're speaking uh, to uh, julia4boston.com is the website. Yep. She's running uh, for city council. She's a counselor, city council at large candidate in Boston. Uh, Julia Mejia. 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 Mike is Mejia. Gonna, Mejia's gonna Mejia is going to listen. Mejia. I got it right. Mejia. Mejia. Say Thank that. You. I want everybody Mejia. out there to say Julia Mejia. 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 Learn with me, people. That's right. Do you know I learned how to And speak? I'm really getting embarrassed because you, like, you, you've done this um, media work. Like, I'm a hack. Like, I just interview people. But you, like, you, you worked at MTV, like, doing this stuff. Yeah. Like, and interviewing people about at conventions. You kind of, like covering this beat for MTV, right? Yeah. Way back? Yeah, but I got in through the back door. Let me just huh. tell you, I used to work with young people when I lived in Boston, and I always wanted to be a reporter because I met Liz Walker, who was the first African-American oh, anchor. Awesome. Yeah, she interrupted my entire cycle of poverty. In fact, I was almost 20 by the time I graduated from high school because I had dropped out and I went back. And at the time, I was selling shoes and cleaning offices, making more money than my mom did. And so when she went to my high school, I said, oh my God, I want to be just like her. So I graduated from high school and went to college. But I was tired of seeing what was being reported on the news, so I decided that I wanted to do something about it instead of reporting. So I ended up working with young people, 
but I always wanted to be a reporter, so I moved to New York. And I got a job at MTV, but I went there to pitch other kids because, you know, I was working with young people. They were looking for a Latina to cover the presidential elections. And they said, well, why not you? You have the swag. You, I had the big hair. Um, and I said, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not in the college age demo anymore. They were like, well, no, but you, you understand the issues. So they put me on camera and offered me a job, and I got to travel the entire country. And that was in 2000. Yeah, I got to travel. I was watching the video. Elvin, yeah. your campaign manager, yeah. was showing me it, and then I was like, oh, my God, I remember her now. Like, yeah. it's so funny to see. I didn't put two I've been doing this my entire life. Yeah. I mean, since I was nine years old, I've been advocating and fighting for people. And so to have the opportunity to work at MTV, but let me just tell you that for the first six months, it was when the show Survivor had come out. So I thought that they were secretly recording us uh -huh. and getting rid of the first-time reporters. So I was like this. I was trying to read the stand-ups, trying to be all like, you know, Well, they probably were recording you, though. They were, but not for to vote me off, yeah. which is what I originally thought. But anyways, when I just decided to, I'm just going to be myself, I was like, forget it. You know what? I'm just going to be me. I got more airplay than anybody else. Um, and that was such a big lesson that I learned is that oftentimes we come into spaces and we leave ourselves out on the door because we don't think that we belong in those mm, spaces. Internal censorship. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the imposter syndrome right. is real yeah, for yeah. women of color in particular. But I left that at the door and, you know, I covered the presidential elections. I went behind the scenes as a producer. Most of the shows that I um, produced were all things that no one watched, but mattered, like Take a Stand Against Discrimination, Fight for Your Rights. The stuff on MTV I'd want to watch. Yeah. Like, uh, some of us are geeks like that. We'd want to see that things. stuff. All the real things. I worked Every once on. in a while, the nuggets of kernels that they have out yeah. there, that you're like, wow. Yeah, I did this show called High School Stories, Scandals, Pranks, and Controversies. Um, it was a co I was the, co the series coordinating producer, so I had an opportunity to do a lot That's of crazy. amazing things. And I was one of the first urban Latinas reporters um, when I covered the presidential right. elections and I changed the way they even did business in, at MTV. Yeah, every time I would pitch a story, they would say, well, you know, because it dealt with urban youth, they would say, well, what does that have to do with Iowa? And I'm like, why does everything I pitch have to do with Iowa? Right. And they were telling me it has to be national and it has yeah. to be relevant to, you know, white kids, basically. Yep. And I was like, you know, there are issues that are impacting urban youth and we have black and brown kids living all over the country. Right. So I learned how to pitch stories in ways that they will allow them, and most of my stories made it on to That's the air. Um, so that that is something you were like the prince of news at your time, because Prince yeah. had yeah. the same problem getting on MTV. Yeah. They said we can't play that because it doesn't go to Iowa. Now yeah. they now it's on CNN. Yeah. They have a movie like a have you I don't know if you've seen this documentary about the music and stuff. Yeah. It's they just tell so you like that's exactly yeah. how MTV yeah. was. I created the diver. I worked. They said the same thing in that movie that I you know. just said. It's but so this it's been consistent. And I, listen, yeah. this was twenty something years ago. So I've always been right. ahead of my own time, right? And while I was at MTV, I was part of the diversity council that they created because you know there were only like thirty five people of color at the time that I was there, and so really helping to create spaces to uplift the voices and the realities of people who were black and brown was not something that MTV um, was looking for and but we really created the space for us to be heard that's awesome yeah, and, and you're now you're doing the same thing in Boston now yeah I've always done it in Boston you know when I came to this country I was five years old I was raised by a, a single mom who was undocumented for a period of time so I had to I was that one kid in the neighborhood that everybody took with them to the welfare office to the court to the doctor's appointments because they knew if they brought me along they were gonna get everything that they were looking for plus a little extra 
because I always like to, you know, push back and speak truth to power. Um, but I, that's what set me on a path to advocacy is those early moments in life being um, disrespected and disregarded because I was poor um, really set the foundation for the type of person that I've become and the work that I've done. I, everything that I've done in the city of Boston has been pro-social. Every single job that I've had has been to uplift the voices of people. So for me, running for office is just a natural progression. I want to take my work to the next level because we can hoot and holler all we want on the outside, but if we don't have people on the inside that know about organizing, that are activists, then it's just going to be the same old, same old. Right. And I believe I'm the missing link, and I'm looking forward to joining one of our more progressive candidates in that space to move the work forward. And, they, and people can vote for you uh, a no, week from this Tuesday? Yes, and they can vote. And no matter where in the city of Boston you live, and you can vote for me, the entire city of Boston, um, you can vote for me. And I ask that people consider me one of their four votes. That's the other thing, Mike. There are a lot of people who don't even know who's that running, who's or, running or that there's even an election. That's right. And that's another thing that I'm going to change. Civic engagement is one of my top priorities and accountability and transparency in city government, right? So we need, to, we need to do more than just put up the signs that elections are coming. I, I need to see PSAs. I need to see the people out there door knocking, letting everybody know that there's an election. I mean, I think it's pretty crazy, um, that particularly in communities of color, that we're not engaged. Um, but I think that we have an opportunity and a responsibility um, to change that. And it that's seems what I'm like looking. it is changing. I mean, that, that last election with Ayanna yes. was the moment. And, and Rachel Rollins and Nachitara Nika. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's been building up for a while but now it seems like it really people can see it now like yeah. we we really are tasting it we, we we're expect i mean this is going to be a big city council yeah. election yes. it is and can i just tell you why this is so um, important to me is you know i mentioned my mom being undocumented but now she's a super voter she became a u.s citizen and my name is going to be on the ballot that my mom is going to be able to vote for me, after coming to this country with a suitcase full of dreams, trying to, you know, make a better life for me. And the fact that she'll have the opportunity to vote for me is incredibly, like, humbling. But to be the first immigrant woman, there's never been a woman that's an immigrant. I wasn't born in this country. I came here when I was five years old. So to be the first um, immigrant woman, to be the first Latina, right? To be the first single mom with school-aged children on the city council, this is an opportunity for us to make history and to have real representation. And for me, these things that I talk about, I didn't read about it in a textbook, right? I didn't read about it in a newspaper. I live this struggle every single day. And so it's really, it's an exciting time um, for me to be running after, you know, Ayana, Nika, Rachel, Liz Miranda, we ha they have set the stage for what it looks like when women of color step into their power. And so I'm looking forward to being one of the four candidates that make it um, on November 5th as well. Julia. Mejia. Mejia. Good job, Mike. Mejia. Mejia, that's right. You're my co-chair. I that's love this. That's right. That's right. You're sticking with me. Yeah. Um, we, we got some other questions too. I know um, I've seen you're supportive of uh, an issue that we talk about a lot here, safe consumption sites. Yep, absolutely. Tell us about that. Oh, uh, well, you know, you well, so first, um, my cousin died of a, dr a drug of uh, heroin um, overdose years ago, and it went under the rug, like in most families. No one wants to talk about um, heroin use. And early on when that happened, I mean, there was so much denial. And I, and I think when I see what's happening um, in Melina Cass in particular in the city of Boston, when I see um, injection 
um, boxes next to schools. I feel like we have an opportunity to create spaces for people to be able to do it in a way that's safe. Um, and then this is an opportunity for them to also get prevention and, and the type of support that they need while they're there, you know? And I think there's a lot of pushback um, because when we think about what happened during the crack era, you know, no one created a safe space for people to be able to do that. So I think that that's where a lot of the pushback comes from, from communities of color. Right. Um, so I think that I can understand where that... I where definitely can understand that. Yeah, so for me, it's like making sure that those, um, those sites are safe for everyone who is using any type of substance, right? And it's really being able to create space for uh, everyone, not just some folks. And I think that that's probably one of the reasons why, for me, it's so important um, to support it. And I'm one of the few candidates that does and um i've seen that it works in other you know there canada right is one yeah, of the definitely um, vancouver vancouver and so for me i think that if we it's really about testing things out let's see if this really works right let's not just say no look at ocasio with her green new deal right you got to be bolder and louder about the things that you want to test out and you know if it works great let's keep doing it and if not then we need to revisit it but i think that i i'm the type of candidate that i want to remain open and I, it ha I have to think about um, the impact, right? In my office, we were finishing an event. I have a nine-year-old daughter. She was with us that night. And we were closing up the shop, and we, exp we witnessed someone overdosing right across the street, and my daughter did too. And let me just tell you that for me to feel hopeless and helpless at that point, we were waiting for um, the, uh, the, med the paramedics to arrive. I didn't know what to do. I didn't, know, I didn't know how to react. I was just shocked. And so what we decided in our office was we hosted a Narcan training um, so that our volunteers, residents, um, can uh, be trained on how to save a life. And for me, doing that training, I felt empowered. But then I was so disappointed to hear how much that Narcan canister cost I was, it was like cost? I don't, even I don't know. Know, like 500 really? it was crazy it was so expensive and then I thought you know who's making money and it's not you know the, it's everybody's making money off of this right and we keep talking about um, how we're going to deal with the opioid crisis um, but no one's talking about how we're going to hold doctors accountable right Every, there's all this blame happening but if we really look at this conversation and look at big pharmaceutical companies i think that they, they have a responsibility too um and so yeah there's so much going on in that space but as someone has who has lived it let me ask you about um operation clean sweep a lot of pushback on it it's been going on for a while yeah well, i thought that was horrific i mean like seriously throwing wheelchairs um that was so inhumane and i think what really um saddened me was is the fact that there's been so many activists out there talking about melina Cass um for years and because something happened you know right in front of the sheriff's office and it was to his correction officers there was that response which you know whether it was or not i don't know i, I don't know the history of that but what i do know is that I thought it was a very inhumane way to handle the situation. And it also, our kids are watching everything that we do. And then we also need to know that we're setting this example for them. And if this is how we're treating our people, um, whether they're our family or not, it's just an inhumane. And I am so well, against what it. What should be done there? Uh, I mean, other people will say, we have to live among this. It's not right. Mm -hmm. um, 
Well, I, uh, yeah. So the thing is, is that you have a lot of people not in my backyard type of people, right? right? Um, so I think that we have an opportunity. I, I'm a big supporter of the Long Island Bridge, right? Um, and, and making sure that that gets built quickly um, and supporting that. I think that we need more prevention um, support services. And then we also have to address the housing issue and homelessness, right? And there are a lot of even LGBTQ youth who are homeless in the city of Boston. I mean, there's just so many layers. Do you think layers. the city should be making, like, micro-housing for, for absolutely. the folks that are homeless? Absolutely. absolutely. I believe so. Public I housing. Think, yeah, you know what? Here's the deal. Um, with When it comes to housing, I'm proposing right now the IDP, which is the Inclusionary Development Policy, is set at um, 13% for affordable units. A lot of my colleagues are pushing for 20%. I don't believe we need incremental change in the city of Boston. I believe that we need to reflect the needs of the city. And so I'm pushing for 50% of affordable housing. If you're going to build in our city, then you have to build with the right mindset, which is making sure that those people who need it most are your priority. And so I'm pushing for 50 because my hope is, is that if we push for 50, we might get to 30. But if we push for 20, we're lucky if we get 18. And so for me, it's really about the, nego the negotiating um, strategy. But I also think that being more intentional about where we're pouring those dollars into. So making sure that we have more housing for homeless and making sure that we also have housing for seniors. I mean, and, and then students who are aging out of um, foster care. There are a lot of young people right now who end up on the streets because they age out of foster care and don't have a place no to live. Family. And no family. No support. No support. And so housing is definitely, I mean, for me, everything, I always bring it back to my lived experience. Everything goes back to what I've been through. You know, when my mom came to this country, we moved from place to place. We lived in Jamaica Plain. We lived in, Rocks, in Roxbury. We lived in a lot of different places in Dorchester. And it wasn't until I was in the fifth grade that we had a stable place to live for more than a year. And that's the reality right now in the city of Boston still. There are over 5,000 students who are homeless in the city of Boston. And so we need to be more aggressive about housing. And while I appreciate building more, we have to, build, we have to be intentional about the what we're building. And right now, as well as that, the AMI, which is the area medium income, is sur with surrounding you know, other cities and towns. And so I believe we need to be more hyperlocal. It needs to be reflected of the communities that are being displaced. That should be what we set the AMI on, make it hyper-local. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yes, um, housing's a big issue. We talked about the, uh, drug, you know, the drug issue. Um, I guess, you know, one of the things, uh, I guess sticking to drugs, cannabis is a big mm -hmm. issue here. Um, a little while back, the city council, I guess a lot of the cannabis uh, supporters you know, we, we didn't want this to happen, let's put it that way. They did a half-mile buffer zone around dispensaries mm -hmm. so that a couple that were already open downtown kind of get the monopoly downtown. Um, and they turned out to be big money, back like Goldman Sachs, yep. FOMA guys. Um, and so a lot of us don't like that half-mile buffer zone. I recently interviewed the mayor of Cambridge, Mark McGovern, and they have a buffer zone as well, but it's, it's less than a half-mile. But... What they decided to do is to lift the buffer zone for economic empowerment for uh, certain applicants that, you know, aren't the big money. Mm -hmm. And so that they, it opens it up for them yep. to get these resident, these uh, commercial spots, yep. lease them. Um, would you support something like that in the city of Boston to, to change that half mile buffer zone for economic empowerment for uh, the people who are social, you know, social equity. Absolutely. Everything and anything that deals with building social equity, I'm all for. Um, 
what I find to be really interesting, though, is that the war on drugs was really the war on people of color, right? And we are now not able to profit from that. And I think that we need to be bolder and more aggressive in what that looks like moving forward. Um, I know that my friend Tito Jackson, he did a hearing in Mattapan probably like six or seven months ago, and I attended because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a learner, right? I always want to learn about everything and to hear what people had to say. And one of the things that really struck me is that he talked about how city, um, CVS, they're a drug, you know, they're a drug dispensary right. too, but no Oc one's, yeah. yeah. Oxycodone, you right. go in there and get it. That's right. Um, and really looking at wh how, why that's okay. Um, and then, you know, the, the pushback, um, not in my own backyard type of thing and saying that it's a gateway drug and all this blah, blah, blah. And so for me, my thinking is when it comes to cannabis is that there's so many misconceptions about it. We've been led to believe that it's bad. Um, but in reality, it, it, it helps a lot of people, right? And as a city councilor, um, well, not yet, but I'm speaking into you existence, right? Um, I think that we have an opportunity to really educate the public about the truth about cannabis um, and to dismissify what it is and why people use it um, and all that good stuff. And so for me, I've been learning a lot about the cannabis um, industry, and I, I want to make sure that people of color, and particularly those who have been disenfranchised, do not miss out on the opportunity to build equity um, and to cash in Definitely. on that. And with the other piece, then I'll take it one step further. You know, I know that one of our um, electeds currently, Kim Janey, um, proposed uh, to two, two to one for uh, cannabis licenses. I think that maybe we're looking at one to one. Right. Making making sure that if for every license that you have, you give one that's an equity license instead of two. Um, I think that might be something that I would look into. And then I think that for me, I went to a, a, it was like a conference that happened a few weeks ago. It was for the cannabis industry. Again, I go to any space that I can learn from. And there were people who, you know, moms and grandmas, they were token, that's you know, right. and they were well you know, presenting and all that, and their kids were there. You know, I was really inspired by that. Um, but there's so many people who are afraid, and I, I think that we have an opportunity to change the conversation and, 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 and create um, a dialogue. And I also think that, you know, educating young people about not just the prevention of it, but really, like, socioeconomic status, you know? Like, we have a lot, like, I'll give you an example. When I was working um, with young people here in the city of Boston, I used to do um, public health work, and I, was, I used to distribute condoms in the streets. And there were some dudes who lived around my way who I knew they were selling, and I went up to them. I said, listen, for every little dime bag that you sell, here's three packs, you know, here's a three-pack of condoms. Pass them out. You know, keep your clients alive type of thing. And they're like, miss, you're crazy. I'm like, no, for real, hmm. serious. You'll see. Do it. And they got to the point they were starting knocking on my door. Miss, 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 you got any more of those condoms? They love the idea, right? And it's really about how do you engage people. Um, safer. Yeah, safer. safer, right? Yeah. And that goes back to the safety. Even like dr testing the drugs, yeah. like that's safe consumption. I think we have a phone call. Someone oh. on the phone here? Someone waiting? Who's yeah. on the hey. What's up? Hey, Mike, it's Grant. How are you doing? Good. What's up, Grant? I just wanted to say before I, I do have a question for uh, Miss Mejia. Mejia. I've been really enjoying Mejia. Mejia. I've, been really I've been really enjoying the interview, and I just wanted to compliment you and say I watch Mike's show every single week and have for years, 
And the only guest I've ever heard that matches your passion and eloquence is now Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. Wow. Thank you. That is incredibly humbling to hear. Thank you. But thank wow. you for the opportunity to ask a question. Um, so I really liked your answer about what can be done to facilitate equity on the local level in Boston for licensing of cannabis companies. Mm -hmm. But I, I have one question. In Cambridge, they're considering a proposal that would put a dedicated levy on their 6% in local retail tax on cannabis towards a equity fund that social equity and economic empowerment applicants could use forever to help start their businesses. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that kind of idea in Boston? I think that's pretty innovative um, because there, you, as we know, there are a lot of people who, um, who pr probably want to open up a shop, but they don't have the resources, <laughs> right? So I think that that would be, I, that's something that I would definitely look into. Um, it's very similar to the IDP fund right now, where they're pouring money from the housing um, when they opt out of building affordable. That could be a very similar um, fund to, to build, to support those who want to open up businesses. Everything and anything that helps create opportunities for those who have to help those who have not, I'm all for it. What do you think, Grant? Well, thank you. I really do wish you the best in the election. I'll be watching closely, and I'm thank grateful you. for the chance to ask the question, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Grant. I hope you. if you live in Boston or if you know people who do, I hope that you ask them to consider voting for me on September 24th. I will make a few posts this week saying just that. Thank you. Thank you, Grant. Bye. Wow. Bye Grant. now. Can you hear when people call? It's a good, he asked a good question. Yeah. And he said, gave me a good compliment. Uh, our telephone number is 617-702-2542 if you want to make a phone call. Uh, you have a website. It's julia4boston.com. That's right. You're also on Twitter, Julia4Boston. Yeah. At Julia4Boston. It's F-O-R. Yep. You know, so Ju at Julia4Boston. And I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. And I am uh, like I we created our policy platform from the ground up with people who are living the realities and or doing the work. And we got questions. We got comments. And that helped inform every policy um, point that you will see on our website. We actually went, I think, a little bit further than most candidates, because for me, the work begins after I win and I'm speaking it into existence. And so as a real community organizer, I'm already thinking about what it's going to look like post the election, you know. Now, one of the big uh, issues for you, one of the big focuses I know is education. We haven't yes. mentioned it. So yeah. Tell well, us where you are. Like yeah. School choice, school board, oh and all this stuff. Oh, my God. Where, where so do, let me do? just tell you, I, um, I entered the education space as a parent, right? I was doing parent organizing. I, was, I started off my career. Act so let me back up. I'm a community organizer. I work in the community engagement space. And so I ended up getting a job at the Mass Charter Public School Association as a, as a um, parent organizer. And at the time, I didn't really realize what I was getting into. I didn't even know it was so political. I didn't even think that education was a political issue. Right. And who knew? Who knew, right? It's crazy. And it was my pathway out of poverty. You would have, you know, I, I knew how important it was. But it wasn't until I was in that space um, that I realized because a lot of my friends thought I was a Republican when I, when I was working there, and I didn't know why. Then it got weird, 
And then the ballot initiative came to head, and then this organization called Families for Excellent Schools came to Boston with bats swinging, taking over all the work that we had been doing around just organizing parents just to have options. They took the work to a whole nother level, kicked us to the side, literally. And that for me was the first. Who is this group? Are they um, families for Excellent Schools, they're no longer around. Are I they hope. like D for money? Are they? Yeah. yeah they're that private dark money? Yeah, they're that They're dark. funded by big corporations. That's right. They're and astroturfing. Yeah. Okay. So let me just tell you that was my reality check that this conversation had very little to do with black and brown parents. It had and to do with big money coming it, in. Right. But you know what? When you know better, you're expected to do better, right? So while I believe that parents definitely should have an option to send their kids wherever they feel their whatever school fits their the best choice for their child, one thing that I learned, though, is that that particular movement, the Families for Excellence Schools movement, wasn't about us. And I left that space. Um, and I launched my own organization to work specifically with parents around all sectors because we knew as black and brown parents that no matter where our kids ended up, there's work to do. So a lot of the work that we focus on is um, dismantling the school to prison pipeline, looking to improve the school culture and climate, tackling the school disciplinary practices that we see oftentimes in mm. charter schools, right? And public schools, too. And public I, you schools. know, I said I, I, used to be a, you know, I used to be a teacher and coach. Oh, yeah? And one of the reasons I left is just, it's crazy. They, they, they Over policing our kids. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I t I've told this story so many times. Uh, just It's just horrible. Yep. It's, it's like zero tolerance. That's right. And and over the coach's uh, opinion, over the parents, yep. over the nurse. No, like this kid was, it was about smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Like, you know, no tobacco sensation. Yeah. Just you're off the team after you turn everything around. Yeah. From once crazy. Because like, you were addicted since you were a kid. Yep. You know what I mean? It's just. This is the stuff that drives you absolutely crazy. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's too much discipline, absolutely. not enough love. And this is what, for me as a parent, um, I, I've learned so much about the education space. And I feel like, and my organization before CPLAN, which is the Collaborative Parent Leadership Action Network, we didn't have a lot of parents um, sitting in various advisory boards. Now, because of the work that we've been doing, five parents have been appointed by the Department of Education to sit on various statewide boards, right? I was appointed, I'm the only parent in this space to the Accountability and Assessment Task Force for the, the entire state. And in that space, I'm always talking about, I always raise my hand, oh, wait a minute. You know, it can't be about testing. We need to find new ways to determine what quality looks like. What about the whole child? And why are we expecting educators to do more with less? Why do we wait for schools to fail before we provide them the support services that they need? All of these things I learned throughout my education journey, right? Life experience. In my, life, in my own life experience, right. right? And so for me, um, a lot of the work that I've been doing since then is really helping to educate parents about the real issues that are happening across all sectors and holding schools accountable to, our f to what we want and working in collaboration with educators and students to get there. And so I support a fully elected school board. We do not have, like right now, the mayor appoints our school board. He decides. He decides everything. He decides like everything, <laughs> right? And so for me, I'm proposing, um, and I support an, a fully elected school board. You do, okay. Absolutely. I do. I think that makes so much it, sense. Because you know what? Well, we need more parents. We need more educators. And I think young people should have voting rights, right. too. Um, right now, we have young people who sit on the committee, but they don't have any rights to vote. Some people so. say that will make it too political and that big money will come in and take no, over those so seats. No, so what we need to do is put guardrails and put together um, some safety nets so that doesn't happen, right? And so I think that this is how we keep DFER out of that, right? <laughs> I think that we have an opportunity to, once we, once we move towards that 
um, is making sure that we put provisions in place to ensure that big money, not only big money, but that we create opportunities for people who wouldn't necessarily run to be able to build their capacity so that they can do so successfully. I think that's a responsibility that we have so that it's not just the same old, same old people who are getting into those positions, right? I think that that's how I would look at it is like making sure that we have the provisions and also the tools in place to be able to support people to be able to run. I mean, when you look at our education system, I, you know, I, I survived the busing era, right? Um, and if you, for those folks who don't know, it was in the seventies, it was like, they didn't want our, they didn't want us in their schools. Right. Um, and that's real. And that's still the case here in the city of Boston. It's very segregated. Um, but that level of segregation now is happening through charter schools. You know, a lot of um, black and brown kids end up in charter schools or the segregation happens because people who have more money live in affluent neighborhoods that we can't afford to live in. So we can't send our kids to those well-resourced schools. So the whole situation needs to be revised and revisited if we're really going to talk about equity in the Boston public schools. Wow. Uh, we've covered a lot. It's at Julia for Boston is your website. Yeah. You're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Julia yeah. for Boston. And I'm a first time candidate. Yes. Right. I've never run for office. I'm 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 literally a political outsider. An immigrant. I'm an immigrant. For me, like running, woman. I'm a I'm a woman. You I'm got the, so I, many things. I'm uh, gonna be the first of and the fr and the fact of the matter that I was the first person in my family to graduate right. high school, sure. college, college, buy a house, and get my mom out of Section That's Eight. Unbelievable. And to be the first of all of these things, it's like every single door that I've been through, I've had to knock down. Um, and so for me, this is what excites me. And it's not just about me. There are two parents that are part of our network right now who, um, one lives in Cambridge and the other one lives in Randolph. They're running for school committee. What we've been able to do is inspire other women to recognize that they too can run for office and they don't need big money and that they can do it. You know, it's not that hard. We've been led to believe, even when I bought my house, you know, when my mom's rent got jacked up and her little Section 8 voucher wasn't going to be enough, um, I said to her, you know, I'm going to buy you a house. At the time, I didn't even know what my credit score was, right? But I knew that I needed to get my mom out of there, and I bought a house. I took my entire 401k to be able to do that, right? Um, and so for me, yeah, the first of all of these things is because I want to go inside. I know what it's like to be out here. And so when you grow up in a life of poverty, you know how to make things happen with whatever little resources you have. And I feel like the city is resource rich, but we're coordination poor. And I really want to focus on how do we bring the resources into the community so that everybody can be uplifted. You know, I just love your attitude. Compared to like, I, I don't want to call names. I'm trying to be nice today, right? Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. these guys over there, like the Tim McCarthy and this one and that. I don't even want to start naming them. Even five car flaherty i'm calling them names i mean we need we need you to win people need to vote for you it's uh julia for throw down some money too Kick oh in. my god yes i am Kick like in. five bucks helps 10 yeah. bucks 20 bucks it, it really makes a it difference does. small numbers because it shows the commitment yeah and can i just tell you we offer child care in our campaign nice yes because if we're gonna be real about removing barriers we have to do whatever it takes to make sure that people can walk through our doors right um and we also provide professional development and capacity building we hosted um the art of door knocking and storytelling because for us again the work is not about just running for office and getting elected it's like how do we build the capacity so that other people can run campaigns in the future right. to change the face of who is I love running that you talk about this because this is what i've always been like uh 
You know, when we first started, we, we've been doing this over five years now, this show. We had another show before that, too. So we've been doing these live mm. broadcast internet things. And when we first started, we got nobody on. Yeah. And then we'd get, like, guests that were running, but had the third party people. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Greens and the Libertarians. Right. And then we'd start to have some Republicans. Oh, shoot. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that they didn't have a chance either. Right, right. And then it slowly we started winning. That's and right. like Mike Conley was like the first one, like we really like. Oh he, my God, he was I on love our show, him. Like you know, probably like six times during that election. Wow. And you know, so like we won. That's great. And then we started winning and winning and winning. And now it's like, now and this is what I always stop. tell people: it's like you just gotta. It's gotta keep and now I'm not saying it's just us. Like you know, it's I feel like we're part of a community yes. movement. And I feel like our uh, like everywhere you're seeing this, and That's not right. just I say you know tell people, you know we're definitely a local Boston centric show. Yep. But we have people listening all, all across the country and even world right. to our show because these issues Impact are happening in San Francisco. That's They're right. happening in Iowa. Iowa, I like know. You were shout about. out to Iowa yeah, out right? there. Second yes. Iowa shout out to that. That's right. I mean, we got people listening in Spain. You should see some wow. of the iTunes Hola. numbers. It's crazy. Barcelona. Barcelona. I don't know, pero por si acaso, ya tú sabes, yo también hablo español. Maybe it's you. Yeah, maybe it's you. are listening for you. That's great. So but don't you feel really great about the movement that you've been able to create? I thought we're just part of it. I just like but, being but, a part of it. And to see the movement yes, winning, to, to right. have a chance. To change and to the see conversation. It like what happened, you know, today is going to yeah. affect yes. 10 years from now. That's right. That's, and so let me just tell you, people, we need to manage our expectations. Change is slow. But let me just tell you, it is steady. And the moment that we stop believing that things are going to change, that's when they stop. Right. And so this is what I always tell everybody. We're not hopeless and we're not helpless. We just got to keep plugging away because we got to agitate. We have to show up in spaces that they don't expect us to be in right. and cause disruption. That is You're how a disruptor, aren't you? Yeah. Did you say, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, you know, I was told I got to be careful about how I utilize that. Um, but I, I think I've always been, I mean, I've, I'm telling you, going to the welfare office with my mom and having to figure, like, sometimes I would feel like I was tap dancing just so we can get our food stamps. Sure. Um, it was humbling, but I had to let people know, you work for us, too. Don't even think for a minute that you're going to humiliate my mom. And I wouldn't tell her half the things. When I would translate for her, I wouldn't tell her half the things that they, they were saying say, well, because I didn't want her to feel bad. Oh, my God. And How when old I were you then? I was nine. nine wow. And then when I would translate for her, I would tell them extra things. <laughs> because I wanted to utilize that opportunity to speak truth to power. But that is what I've at done. At nine years old, you were at nine way. years old. And my it's daughter. It's funny how these things happen because my mom was on welfare too. Yeah. I had a single, I was a, you know, single, product, single mom, welfare, the whole nine years. That's year right. Um, you know, things got better for us. I, I know a lot of people, things didn't get better, but. Um, yeah. It's, I think once you experience that thing, you how know. can you. How can you not, not feel for other people. Yeah. I don't get that. I did a training because a lot of the work that I do is helping people um, learn how to help others better, <laughs> particularly people who have been left out of conversations. And I was doing a training for DTA, which is the Department of Transitional Services. And part of my training was to help them improve their communication style. And when I asked everyone to raise their hand if they've ever been on welfare, a lot of people raised their hand. It was cr across you know, race and everything. And in that, I felt like I had to do therapy with them because they were like, oh, my God. They think they forgot about what it was like 
for them. But you make yourself forget. But, but it's weird. It's All this weird. trauma that we don't think about. Like so much of the stuff that happened to me and other people. Yeah. We, we don't think about. We hide it. That's right. We shame. Like we don't want to. No. The bad thing to revisit. You know. I I was like, let's go back there. Mm. Let's go back. That's what I like the, the the whole like people. Someone posted this again today. There's a Tupac quote about like yeah. the rose that grows out of the concrete. This is a con- yes. You know what I mean? That is us. You and I. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that that's, in America. That's like, right. and just like we have to celebrate that more, and we have to like right. look. Like, me, I. You talk about communication. Yeah. I have a brother that's. Uh, he's a, he's a working class guy. Yeah, he's yeah. a tradesman. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm more the book nerd. You know what I mean? Yeah, we yeah. both graduated college, but like you know, yeah. I read books more probably. Right. Let's put it that way. And he, he's not. He's you no know, no dummy. He'll tell you every uh, stat probably from Tom Brady and all the rest of it. Yeah. But, but we're a little bit different that way, and. You know, he's 11 months younger than me. Oh, wow. And when we were kids, he was speaking for me. Wow. Because I couldn't communicate. Really? The younger boy. Why you couldn't? Were you shy? Well, there's a lot. I don't want to go no, all, all okay. through my, you know, so, childhood. But, he, but, but he was there were some issues. Okay. He took care of you. In a way. Yeah. And later on, like, you know, when things change, let's put it this way, environments change. That's right. You know how environments change? All of a sudden, I tested second high. Like, I went from, he's kind of slow yeah. to, wow, this kid's actually yep. kind of intelligent. He's got some issues. Yep. That's talented and gifted. And oftentimes, they put our kids in special education instead of recognizing their talents and, and their gifts. And also, in that yeah. year, I had one-on-one. I had, you know, for Support a year tips. of school, yeah. they had me with one person that just basically said, we're going to help you. And I, I know, like, nurturing right. makes a huge, huge difference, difference, especially the kids, children. Absolutely. Let me just tell you, and I don't know if I meant, yeah, I think I talked about Liz Walker, right? Yeah. Earlier. I, I'm yeah, glad yeah. you, we talked about Bob LaBelle earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were, they were together. Yeah, they, they were together? Like, not, like, you know, on but the same station. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're friends. So, yeah, this is why I work with young people, because when she shared her story at my high school, at the time, I was selling shoes and cleaning offices, so I wasn't going to go to college. But that 15 minutes that she spent sharing her story changed my entire life. Because I was on the do not drop out track. Nobody was talking to me about college. Um, and I was one of those kids that struggled, right, a lot. Because I had already dropped out of school. Um, and when I went to college, I struggled there. I, I didn't even realize how unprepared I was. Luckily, I had graduated before MCAS came to be. Otherwise, I'd still be in high school right now. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I, I struggled. I'm an English language learner, too. You know, I didn't, I didn't speak English. Learn, yeah. yeah, I learned how to speak English watching Sesame Street um, and translating for my mom, right? right? And so being an English language learner is something also that I, I'm, on the, um, I'm on the task force for BPS. I, I, you, I, it's my lived experience that shapes every, everything that I do, but yeah. Do you still talk to Liz Walker? Yeah, I'm like a stalker. She's going to... Oh, I was going to say, I'll stalk her. I want to yeah. get on this show. Oh I my would God. love to have... I would be uh, so like uh, humbled, though. Because okay. it's like, when you have someone like that, same with Bubba Bell. I was like, I just, it's hard. Because yeah. you watch them on TV for yeah. so long. So I'll tell you that when I graduated from high school and I got into college, I, I did a paper on her. And I got, I got to interview her for a class project. I still have the paper. I got an A- minus on it. Then I... um. I left her a voicemail when I got a job at MTV. And I said, I know you're going to remember me, but 10 years ago you went to my school and I got a job at MTV because of you, blah, blah, blah. Then I saw her. I was working at UMass Boston on some anti-poverty policies. um, And she was a guest speaker. 
and I went up to her. I remember this day like yesterday. I had on a little gray suit and a, a little hot pink tunic, and I went up to her and I said, listen, I'm standing here in front of you as a professional because you spoke at my school and inspired me to go to college, and I'm a professional today because of you. She got all teary-eyed. Then I saw her. Um, I do a lot of volunteer work. Uh, I was working with women who were transitioning out of um, ho a homeless shelter, and I brought her in to speak. And I brought my yearbook, and I said, see, this is the year that you win. This is the, the. And then I got to present her an award this year at, um, at a shelter that I work, um, that I do some volunteer work for at the time. And I got to present her the award. And I swear to God, I was like literally a ball of tears. And to give her the award um, about interrupting the cycle of poverty, which was what she did for me, was the most humbling experience. I was so grateful that I was able to honor her and to give her her kudos publicly because she changed. I'm telling you, I'd still probably be selling shoes if it wouldn't have been for her. Like, I'm t she, I am here because of her. It's amazing. And I'm telling you, this is, we never know the, the, the difference we're going to. We yes, absolutely. Now I'm running for office. She did that. And she's a reverend, too, right? She's a reverend, reverend and she does work in, in the trauma space. I do a lot of work through my nonprofit organization around trauma-informed practices in our schools. Like, I feel like I have followed in her footsteps in so many ways. Do you think that she would come on uh, this show with you next time? We could bring you both on together? How about yeah, that? After be? I win, because she can't go publicly. I mean, even though she's already supporting me. After you win, me, how yeah. will we do that? Uh, yeah, we'll she, make it for She wrote let's, a check to me. Let's, that's public. Let's make yeah. that deal. Well, I can't make any wins, deals. Uh, yeah. I don't know, Liz. And, you know, <laughs> I'm going to make a deal for our show. Liz, and she's watching my, um, well, we just put it in, my show. We'll just, yeah, we won't make a deal. We'll just. I uh, can't make a deal on other we, people's calendar. We won't make it. We'll just put that out in the air. I'm not going to be one of those politicians. I'm campaigning for it. Listen, Mike, <laughs> I'm not one of those candidates that make promises that I can't that's keep, okay. but I will try to. How about that? I'm, I'm with Julia. Julia for Boston. Thank you. Sign up. Yeah. JuliaforBoston.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank no. you for running. Thank you for bringing your fire today. Yes. Like, <laughs> I'm feeling good. I Honestly, I didn't have a great couple of weeks lately. Yeah. You know, a lot of crap going on. It just happens. I don't want to bring it all up, but you're making me feel good. So good. Thank you for coming in today. No, I'm glad. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak and to engage your viewers, your listeners. I really do hope that you consider me, for those folks who live in Boston, consider me one of your four votes on September the 24th and then again on November 5th. Um, we have an opportunity not to just make history, but to show what really happens when we create spaces for those who have usually been on the outside to go on the inside. And this is really about that. This is for me is about that work. And so I'm hoping that um, you guys will join me in that effort. I'm going to throw out the number again if anyone has any questions. 617-702-2542. I also had another question. Yeah. I should have gotten to earlier. Boston Police. Mm. It was a... Uh, what we call the police riot that happened a couple of weeks ago. I don't oh, know. yeah, with the straight pride yes. parade situation. Yes. And, and, you know, one police officer, um, it seemed like, <laughs> really went crazy. His name's John Danilecki. We looked at it. Uh, a lot of people looked at the videos. There's been some complaints about him and others. But even beyond that, you know, I'm starting to look into some stories. And it just a lot of what you said earlier about the uh, opiate issue, about how when, you know, it was crack. No one seemed to care. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of that pushback, too. Like, you know, these cops have been treating us terribly mm. for decades in the courts, the same courts that you're having problems with. And now all of a sudden you care this week because it's a bunch of white protesters, which I agree with 100 yep. um, percent. But there's also a kind of a cry for from a lot of people for a long time. 
uh, even like Monica Cannon Grant's yep. been asking for a hearing on violence. That's right. About the shootings. Um, and I just think it, Boston police seem like they have no oversight. And not just about this, what I call police riot, but all the other things that have yep. happened over the years. I mean, we had someone that was in jail, Sean Ellis. They had a release for murder, and they knew he didn't do it. Like, mm. this stuff goes on over and over again. It seems like there's no accountability. There was uh, drug evidence locker thefts where looks like police stole mm. drugs, and no one lost a job even. No one got, you know, a couple of people got transferred. Yeah. Nothing happened to them. Um, yeah. What do we... I, I think this is probably one of the reasons why, when I think about um, restoring the trust and faith, in those who are supposed to protect and serve us is that we one of the things that i'm supporting is a uh, a community um review civilian review board right yes that we have a role we have a voice um in all decision making processes so that again nothing is happening to us it's happening with us i think that that there's an opportunity there there's a little bit of pushback about having regular residents in spaces like that but i think that that's what is needed if we're going to really move the city forward in a way that includes the voices of those who are most impacted. Um, so supporting a community civilian review board is something that I am all in for. And I also think, um, I, I look at the diversity and lack thereof, and it's great that we have a black commissioner, and I'm all, I, you know, big support and happy that, to see that happen. But unless we're changing the culture and the climate um, and providing some intense diversity training um, that is led but not by Harvard or from, you know, out of town folks that you bring in that are consultants, but that's that right. we bring real people in to train you on how to deal with us, then I think that's going to change the conversation. It's all in who's in front of you, right? right? And I think that it shouldn't just be a check mark. We did it. Boom. No, I think that we need to create um, a metrics of accountability to see how, right. how this training has it impacted. You know, what are the incidences rates around racial profiling, right? Like, how are police responding to our people differently? I think that unless we have um, a tool to measure, then we're always going to keep having the same conversation. So I really would like to be able to build the infrastructure for that accountability. Um, but also work in collaboration, right? Um, I think that as a convener and as an agitator and a disruptor, I'm always really intentional about how do we bring all the people together to have the same conversation because we can't do this one without the other. Thank you. You know, absolutely. Thank you for coming in. Every answer today, I was with you. Thank you. A hundred million percent. <laughs> like Thank I, you. There's only... Um, so many shows we can do so we don't try to have every candidate in. it's just not possible yeah. but we kind of pick the ones we like the best honestly oh, thank you and you're like you have our endorsement by far like we want you to win thank we you. hope you win thank you a week from tuesday yes. september 24th people need to come out and vote julia for boston yeah julia well, Mejia. Mejia. Yeah, Mejia. Okay, everybody. I endorse you, but I can't say your name. Julia. Me Mejia. So I'm number 15 <coughs> on the ballot. Yes. So like they say, um, they say the best for last. So make sure you that I'm number 15. And um, they say that the last shall be first. So I hope. Oh, I love that. that That's hope, another good one. And I hope to be the first to get your vote. On and, and it's September. almost like magic. That's right. It's like M-E-G-M-E-J-I-A. Uh, it's it's almost like magic. You are magic. like magic. I Thank you. It's Julia Mejia. 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 And I really I got do it right. hope. Yep. Yep. And I really do hope that you share the video um, tonight with your friends and tag us. Um, we're running a grassroots can campaign. This is really for us, by us. 
And I'm so grateful for the opportunity, Mike. Seriously, thank you for um, allowing me the opportunity to engage with your listeners and your viewers. And this was pretty cool. I hope to come back. I can't wait. Okay. After I win. After you win. On September 24th and come back for November 5th. But then okay. more importantly, I'd like to come back quarterly I'm because down. that's We're where down. the work begins. I really want to engage people in the process of change. Awesome. Yeah. Again, it's uh, Julia for Boston. I, I encourage everyone... Throw down some money. That's right. Throw down, go door knock for her. Yep. We, Thank uh, we, you. I mean, some of our friends too on Twitter uh, have been door knocking for you too, yes, right? You, anyone you yeah. want to shout out in your campaign? Yeah. Or your I mean, here? we got um, we got a lot of great endorsements. Thirty two BJ, and that was dope because I cleaned offices with my mom, so to have their endorsement that was killer for me. Um, uh, Sunrise. They do a lot of climate change. Um, I was really excited to get their endorsement. Um, right to the city vote. Um, Monica Cannon. We got some community fierce organizers that are with me. Um, Senator Chang Diaz, Nico Lugado, um, Liz Miranda. It's amazing. Yeah. So you got people in office, Senator, a state senator, yep. who's like the best, Sonia yep. Chang Diaz. She endorsed you. She endorsed me. Your first uh, campaign. Could I just tell you? It's amazing. A week or two after I told her, she called me and said, you know what? I'm, I'm not... I'm not going to wait to see who else is going to throw their name in the hat. I'm I know that now. you are exactly what the city of Boston needs, and I'm putting my full support behind you now. She said that in September of last year without knowing who else. That, to me, was incredibly humbling to know that she believed in me to that it's point. Amazing. And Nika Ulgado, too. Oh, I love you know, her. Liz She's Miranda. Amazing. I mean, oh, I yeah. feel really blessed. And for me, it's not just about endorsements. Um, it's who they are, It's though. about the values yeah. and, and the work that we'll be able to do together and the community organizers, too, um, and the nonprofit, or, you know, the, the, the group, the coalitions that have endorsed me because these are the people who, already, who have been doing the work That's right. and who are ready to continue to do the work in collaboration with me when they have an insider who's always been an outsider, you know? So I'm, I'm really looking forward to... Um, and Jonathan, you know, everybody knows Jonathan. Jonathan Kahn? Yeah, oh my Kahn? God. He's like the super-duper <laughs> canvasser? canvasser of them all. He, I see him on Twitter. He should get an award for all his door-knocking. Yeah. Um, John Cohn. And we have an amazing fellowship program. Uh, we have some amazing people who have been just door knocking. I'm just really blessed. I feel like I have a village, and we're excited to see what happens on the on the 24th. We can't wait. Yes, thank uh, you. We wish you the best, and we thank congratulate you. you on already on this awesome campaign that you're thank running. Thank you. Thank you. You should be very proud, and uh, we you. we can't wait to see how you do. At Julia for Boston. That's right. On Twitter, Instagram, right. Facebook, JuliaForBoston.com. That's right. Get in there and vote for her. That's right. Vote, please, and share. Share the love with everybody, okay? Y'all too out there. <laughs> I have some people watching me. I see that. Probably not as much as you do, but I you know. I don't know. Probably similar. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm trying to gain momentum here. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. We're the Young Jerks, and uh, I, that's it. We're going to wrap it up this week. I want to thank Murphy behind the board. I want to thank our guest, yeah. Julia. Yes. And uh, we'll thank see you. you again next week. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Every day, Their Life's here to help you live a higher quality of life. The massive product selection at their Wareham dispensary features superior quality flour, vapes, edibles, and more, all derived from locally sourced growers. Experience unparalleled customer service from experts whose knowledge will help you become smarter about your options. Located 10 minutes from the Bourne Bridge, make Their Life Wareham your last stop on the way to the Cape. Reserve an order through Leafly and you'll be on your way in no time.
Open seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. The good vibes start at Verilife.